0: Good morning. Mark is in Brazil today, and he's begun to serve in ministering to the missionaries in Latin America, and I'll be filling in in his stead this morning. If you'd like to follow along, open your Bibles or turn on your electronic devices to Ephesians chapter 5. And for those who are visiting with us, you may not be aware that there is a sermon outline within the bulletin that can also, you can also follow along using that. Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer before we delve into God's word. Our Father in heaven. May you be glorified and praised according to what you deserve. You are deserving and worthy of all glory and honor and power. Father, we pray for your kingdom. We pray that your reign in the lives of people and your reign over their hearts might increase and grow. Father, we pray that our lives might come more and more under your kingship as we understand what it means to be your people and to live in this world. And Father, we pray for your reign over the lives of people to increase and that more people will come to recognize you as God, their God. Father, we pray that you will be glorified. Father, we recognize that you are our creator, and we ask that you might strengthen us and build us up in your service. Lord, give us eyes and ears and a heart that is open to your word, that you may mold us and shape us according to your will. We ask all of these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. Here's the picture of a skinny young man who looks way too young to be getting married. But the county clerk issued a marriage license anyway. <laughs> the point about that wedding day is that wedding days change a person's identity. Marriage adds to a person's identity and responsibility. When a Christian man becomes a husband, he acquires an additional identity, one that God gives him. As he enters into that relationship, and as he enters into the role that God has given him with a woman who has now become his wife, Paul will describe this in Ephesians chapter five, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He then later will write, each of you must love his own wife as he loves himself. With marriage, a man is supposed to take on an additional role. As a Christian husband, he is to act And to be motivated in the same way that Christ acted and what drove his behavior, the motivation he had, just as Christ did not seek to serve himself, just as Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, just as Christ loved the church in the same way, the husband now has a new role, a new identity as husband. And He is to love His wife. He is to seek her well-being just as Christ sought the well-being of His bride, the church. As a general principle, whenever people are given a role to fulfill, their their identity is added to with a new position, whether that be a husband, whether that be an employee, whether that be a manager, the fact that a person has a new role is no guarantee they're going to live up to it. Not every husband gets it. The good news is, if we are open to learning, if we're open to growing, genuine change is possible. And the good news is, is that people can fulfill the roles and the identity that they have been given, the responsibility that they have been given. And so to recap very quickly, with marriage, a man gains a new identity, a new role as in being a husband. And the husband, the Christian husband, is supposed to live up to that new role that he has, by loving his wife in the same way that Christ loved the church and died for her and made her pure. Well, when a Christian woman becomes a wife, she also acquires an additional identity and role as she enters into this new relationship with a man, a man who has now become her husband. And Paul describes that. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The wife must respect her husband. With marriage, a Christian woman is supposed to take on an additional role in a relationship with a man who has now become her husband. And as a Christian wife, she is to follow her husband's leading in the same way that as a Christian woman, she's following the leading and the guidance of Christ on how she is living. And when a a Christian husband and a Christian wife are in a marriage and they are fulfilling these roles that they are supposed to be given or that God has given them, they're supposed to be living, then God can use that marriage and he can bless it in wonderful ways and he can use it to be a blessing to all of those around and to the children that God may grant that family. But my point this this morning is not so much on the role of the husband and the wife but to highlight the principle that marriage adds to one's identity and it changes one's role. You see, there was a very significant marriage that occurred in 1446 B.C. It altered identities. It altered roles and responsibilities. But this this marriage occurred so very long ago. Let's roll the clock back to almost 1,500 years before Christ. Let's travel to a mountain called Mount Sinai and learn something about a marriage that happened at that mountain before the mountain is going to start rumbling and and be shaken as if an earthquake is, is, is trembling it and its top is billowing with smoke. But before God's presence will descend on that mountain and it burns the top of the mountain, Before God gave Israel the Ten Commandments, before all of this occurs, when Israel had first arrived at that mountain, God told Moses, I have a proposal for Israel. I want to make a proposal to this nation, this people. God proposed a relationship between himself and Israel. And if you will... God offered a marriage proposal to the nation of Israel. Now, it's appropriate to use the marriage metaphor to describe God's covenant relationship with Israel. When the prophets spoke about God's relationship with his people, Israel, sometimes they will describe it in terms of marriage. Consider, for example, Ezekiel. Ezekiel is going to refer to Israel's experience at Mount Sinai as nothing less than a wedding and marriage when God claims Israel as his people. Speaking through Ezekiel, God said, Then I passed by and watched you, noticing that you had reached the age for love. I spread my cloak over you. This is a very cultural um, custom back in that time that dealt with with a wedding and marriage. I spread my cloak over you. I swore a solemn oath to you and entered into a marriage covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. What happened at Mount Sinai, God says, was as a people, I claimed you entered in a relationship and there was this marriage. Between you and me. Or let's not forget the prophet Hosea. Remember the the drama of Hosea's life and how he has this wife who, who is unfaithful and runs away from him and goes to other men, and yet he remains faithful. And he keeps trying to woo her back. And God says, this relationship that you have between yourself and this woman, that describes and illustrates my relationship With my people Israel. And so God, speaking through Hosea, says to Israel, I will betroth you in faithfulness. I'm going to woo you back to me and you will acknowledge the Lord. There are various places throughout the Old Testament where the prophets will describe God's relationship with Israel as being marriage. So let's go back to Mount Sinai. Listen to God's proposal to Israel. Notice how what God is offering is going to change who Israel is. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I lifted you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And now, if you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, then you will be my special possession out of all the nations. For all the earth is mine and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Did you notice how God starts this proposal? He starts off by pointing out his, his ability to provide and to care. And so he says, notice what I've already done for you. I've rescued you. I can take care of you. And then he says, did you notice what he wants to do with her and, and how... Her identity would be changed. God is going to give her a new role in the world, a new identity. Israel will become a kingdom of priests. Yes, there were priests within Israel, but Israel is also going to serve as priests in the world. And when you think of a priest, what comes to your mind? Maybe some people, they're going to think of orange robes and finger symbols. Uh, maybe others, the, the first idea that comes to mind is, is a backward collar. But rather than these stereotypes, our focus is upon the question within the Old Testament. What was the role and what was the function of God's priest? And probably the, the first idea which will pop into our minds are our ideas associated with verses like Leviticus 14 and verse 19, where an Old Testament priest stood between the people and God and he offers up sacrifices to God. And this is a very important role that the priest has in, in offering these, these burnt sacrifices and sin offerings and, and all of those different things that God prescribed for his people to do and, and the role of the priest and how the priest was to work with that. But priests also had a very different role. A very important role that's often overlooked. Listen to these passages. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron. Teach the Israelites all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. Now, we remember who Aaron was. He was the high priest. And as part of the priesthood, Aaron's role involved teaching the people God's ways. Before Moses dies... He's also going to bless all of the different tribes. And he says something specific about each tribe and their character. And about Levi, he said, Levi, he teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Now, we remember that Levi is the tribe of priests. And so what... Moses is doing here, as he's blessing Levi, he also describes what these priests, what these Levites are to be doing. Yes, they're offering sacrifices up to God, but they're also engaged in teaching God's people. That's one of the functions of a priest. In Second Chronicles chapter 15 and verse three, we learn that the dismal spiritual state of Israel, and the cause for it is... For a long time, Israel had no true God or priest to instruct them or law. Now, God has always existed. He and he was there. But Israel did not know the true God at that time. They did not have a priest to teach them God's ways and to tell them about who God was. And that's why God's people were in the state that they were. Hundreds of years later, when the prophet Malachi described the work of God's priests, he put it in this way. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge of sacred things and people should seek instruction from him because he is the messenger of the Lord who rules over all. God rules over all and he has messengers. And the role of a priest is to be a messenger of God. It's to instruct those around him who God is and to share with those around him God's ways. So when people look at him, they see a reflection of the holy God and they learn about God's ways. So we learn for priests to fulfill their role, their purpose, they must also be engaged in teaching people God's ways. So let's go back to Mount Sinai. Let's go back to the marriage proposal where God is proposing to claim Israel as his people and says, you're going to be my special people. And where God is going to change who they are and give them a new role, a new identity in the world. And it's not only with himself that they have a new role, but also with the world. And when God said, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is not merely a glib whimsical title to stick on some poster in a house and that's it. But they've come into relationship with God now and they have a new role. The whole nation of Israel has the role to be a kingdom of priests. Now, what is it going to mean for Israel, the whole nation, to fulfill its role as a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, living among the surrounding nations. But when we consider what the priest's role is, not only is Israel to be worshiping God and and to be walking closely with God and to be a holy people in relationship with God, but, but they're to be helping those around them draw near to God. And when the surrounding nations look at Israel, they're supposed to see what a holy and winsome people and how they're reflecting their loving, holy, and just God. You look at the priest, you see something of what God looks like, because the priest is walking close to God. And they're going to hear God's ways being taught. As a kingdom of priests, God wanted Israel to make a difference in its world. It was not simply a title. Ah, you're my people. Great. (laughs) Go and enjoy life. But you're my people. You're now a tool for me in the world. Israel, you have a mission to fulfill. You are my kingdom of priests. Remember, the prophets describe what happens at Mount Sinai as being a marriage between God and Israel. And what we're looking at in, in Exodus 19 is how God is proposing to alter Israel's identity and role when he claims them as his people. And so let's try to step back in time, if we can. Let's try to go back into the culture and the time of of 1446 B.C. What is it going to mean? What is it going to look like for, for Israel to fulfill its role as a kingdom of priests? Remember at that time, the surrounding nations, they, they sacrificed their own children. They sacrificed babies. Gods like Chemish and, and Molech. They, they, they build these, these idols with arms laid out where a baby is killed and placed on here and burned. And in the Mediterranean world, where Chemish and Molech were worshipped, Archaeologists have uncovered acres of small urns filled with the burnt remains of babies. That's how the nations were worshiping their gods. But when they looked at Israel, God wanted the nations to see what a holy people looks like. A holy people who would not sacrifice their children... Because of their relationship and their belonging to a holy God who doesn't want that. In fact, the prophets will say, or God says through his prophets, that thought never even entered my mind. That's not my way. The nations at that time, they're going to place different values on the life of a person. A life of a slave is less than the life of other people. You look at their law codes, Hammurabi and the other ancient law codes, and people have different values, monetary values, based on their status. You look at God's law code and you see that all people have the same value, slave or not. And so when the nations look at Israel, they were to see a holy people and they were to teach that everyone has the same value before God. The nations were engaged in every conceivable, intimate relationship. Start with incest and go from there. God's holy people were to model and to teach that God created marriage. That God made man male and female. And that God said, you leave your father and your mother and you you be joined to your wife and, and you become one new flesh. And that God desires for husbands and wives to remain faithful to each other. And so when the nations look at Israel, if they're going to live up to their role in who they're supposed to be as a kingdom of priests, they're going to see husbands and wives and what God desires. Whether it be business relationships and personal relationships or matters of justice, caring for the disadvantaged, and the list goes on and on as we look at the law code, God wanted Israel serving as his priest to make a difference in her world by modeling and teaching her neighbors God's ways. Israel was not to reflect the world around them. Israel was to reflect the God they serve. And whereas the nations would worship a wide variety of God's, often associated with nature and the forces in nature. Israel was to proclaim the Lord, our God, is one. And our God is creator of heavens and earth and everything in it. These things that you see, the sun, the moon, the stars, the forces of rain, these are not gods, but there is that superstition. (laughs) But there is a God who created all of this. And that is the true God. There is a creator God and he is one. And their lives and their words were to affirm that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth and everything that was in them. So how well did Israel do? Open our Bibles. Read. The history of Israel in the Old Testament. How well do we see in the unfolding of Israel's history their success in being God's kingdom of priests among the surrounding nations? Within those nations. Before we get too hard on Israel, let's gather around the water fountain for an informal chat. What happens when someone hears that God loves them so much that He sent His Son to die for them in order that He might rescue them from their sins and claim them as his people. And what happens when someone who hears that then chooses and decides, yes, I want to rely on Christ crucified for me. And they, they acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. And they're baptized. And they're raised up into a new life that God made possible. What has happened The short answer is God forgives them and God adds that person to his people, to his community. He adds them to the Lord's church. He adds that person to the bride of Christ. Has anything else happened? Yes just as God gave Israel a new identity when he claimed them at Mount Sinai to be his people, so too today when someone relies upon Christ, crucified, and the blood that was shed for them on that cross, he or she is given a new identity and a new role in this world. There is a song, John tells us, a song that's being sung in heaven. And and it's a song about Jesus and it goes like this. You were killed, and at the cost of your own blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have appointed them as a kingdom and priests to serve our God. What happens when we become part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, a disciple, a Christian, one who relies on Christ crucified for us. We are appointed to be God's priests. We collectively are a kingdom of people over which the Lord is reigning. And we are to be following His ways. God has appointed us to be priests. And God gives us, all of us, A role within the world that fits with our theme this year, which is city lights. We want to serve God in our city. And if we will serve God as his priests, we will be lights for God in our city. Writing to disciples, Peter will also describe this new identity that God gives to someone when they choose to respond to Christ and they come to Christ. Peter's words are like this. So as you come to him, a living stone, speaking of Christ, who was rejected by men, but chosen and priceless in God's sight, you yourselves, the Christians, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. We. We are being built together into a dwelling where God dwells, a temple, a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. And yes, one of our roles is to offer up that praise and those sacrifices to God. But Peter also continues, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim... The virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You were children of the king. And so we are are members of a royal priesthood. This is what God is doing with us. And if we're going to fulfill our role and the purpose that God is giving all of us as his people, it involves proclaiming our God. God has given all Christians the same identity and role that He gave to all the Israelites back at Mount Sinai. And God has given us a mission to fulfill as His priests in this world. Have you ever thought about yourself in in terms of starting each day as a priest? Have you thought about the mindset of what it would mean to start a day saying, I am a child of the king. I'm a son or or daughter of God. And God has made me to serve as his priest in this world. How would that shape life? How would that shape decisions? How would it change our day if we began each day with the thought that the creator of the universe has made me his priest? Imagine being at home raising children Starting your day with the vision that you're serving in that house as God's priest to draw those children to God, to show them what godly ways look like, and to teach them about the Creator who loves them so much. And such a role is a life filled with God's enduring purpose. Imagine going to work with the mindset that you are God's priest in that work environment. And so all of the business negotiations and dealings, all of the things that are said, all the things that are done, how you behave and live, living it with the sense that I'm God's priest, people are to see what a holy, loving, and just God looks like. And how he loves people and people are what matter. Dare I say it? The bottom line is not finances. Imagine living in a neighborhood with the awareness that God wants us to be his priests among all those living around us. And our actions and words are to make God attractive and to draw them closer to God. And our purpose involves helping them to learn about the God who has made them and as well as God's ways. And and so as we go about driving on the streets, we reflect a holy God. And as we talk with people, we do so as God's messengers, His priests. How does a person prepare to live for God as a priest? We could list a number of items, but here's two very quick points we'll end with. We depend upon God. We start by depending on God. And if we listen closely to Paul in Ephesians, and and if we grasp the, the flow of the thought of that letter, we discover it nourishes a mindset that guides us to depend upon our God and not to depend upon ourselves, but to depend on him for strength and direction and for what we do step by step. Look at some of the little way stations through Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do as God's people. We are a new people. We are a new creation. We are God's workmanship. But it's more than just that he made us to be these priests. There's lots of metaphors we can use. Disciples, Christians. This workmanship, he's also given us a purpose. There's things that he wants us to do and he's prepared for us to do. We move a little bit further into Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. And we find Paul in prayer and he's saying now to God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. We, we, we see very clearly that it's God who empowers us. We don't go forward. I don't go forward on my own strength. We don't want that. But we look to God and we depend on Him. And we take the steps that we're supposed to take relying on God who works in us. We go a little bit further into Ephesians when Paul gets into what does all of this mean for your life as a Christian? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 21. Surely you heard of him, speaking of Christ, and were taught in Christ in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught. And then Paul goes on to describe those step-by-step daily things that disciples do, Christians do, God's priests do. On how we live. And so Jesus shapes our life and guides us in what we do and, and what motivates us. And so when we realize that it is God who has made us to be who we are, And he's created us for his purposes. It's God who empowers us and who strengthens us in our walk. And it is the Lord who's teaching us step by step what to do. These things nurture a mindset that says my service from start to last is dependent upon God. And I'm so grateful I have don't have to be dependent on me. We'd be in trouble. But depend on God. And do what God wants. Step by step. But There's a second biblical principle that can ignite God's priests into action. And that involves knowing that God can fulfill his purposes through us. Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13. Paul says continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. See, God desires us to live out what it means to be saved. He's created us and placed us in a new position and role and and given us this salvation and it means something to be saved and God's people are to work that out, to live it out, that salvation that God has given them. And if God's people will simply take a step and put into action the things that they know to do, you don't have to know everything, but put into action and take a step on what they do know to do. God wants me to forgive this person. And this is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. God wants me to love. God wants me to let this person know that God loves them. And he sent a son. If we will take step by step and put into action what we know to do, as we obediently choose to do what God has shown us, his will for us, God works through those steps to achieve his purposes. And the world sees what a holy people look like. What a people who reflect God looks like. Not what a people who reflects the world looks like. When we relied upon Christ and his death to save us, By being buried with Christ in baptism, God raised us up to become a new creation, new creatures in the Lord. And God made us into being His workmanship, a a new holy people belonging to Him. God made us to be His priests who serve Him among the surrounding peoples. This morning, if God has not yet added you to His people, if He's not yet forgiven you of your sins, We invite you to acknowledge Jesus and to rely upon his death for you in baptism. And for the rest of us, let's fulfill God's purposes for us as a kingdom of priests in this world. May the Lord be with you and bless you as you serve the Lord this week as his holy priesthood. We're going to stand and sing a song. And if there's some prayer requests that you have, or some need that you need to make known, or if you need to respond to the Lord, to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come at this time. I heard an old, old story. Our Savior came from glory.